All right, Genesis 35, starting in one, verse 1, and I'm going to uh, kind of go through verses 1 through 8 pretty quick as we get to the heart of the, of the passage. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel. What happened in Bethel? It's where he first uh, met the, uh, the vision of the angels, built an, author, an altar, had a church service, had the covenant of Abraham renewed to him, and, and then he headed out into Laban's land. But now he's saying, this is, he's left Laban, he's been freed from slavery, he's, um, you know, uh, gotten rid of Esau, and his sons murdered the whole city of Shechem. Remember that? Things aren't going well for, for the church. But now God all of a sudden comes in and says to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So we've been reading Genesis and studying it and trying to learn how to theologically interpret the Bible for quite some time now. So I wonder if anybody can tell me what is happening here. So remember, his whole family, his daughters going off to hang with the Canaanites, his sons murder a whole city. They reject the concept of cleansing through circumcision, which is probably a form of rejection of the sign of the covenant. What would you call the church that forgets God's promises, murders a whole city, is palling around with the Canaanites? What would you call that? Apostasy. That's right. So now we have God speaking to Jacob and saying, go back to Bethel. Go back to the altar. What would you call that? He's headed for a covenant renewal, renewing of the covenant. What would be another word for this? Reformation. Exactly. Very good. Revival would be another one. God is reaching down to deliver his people from their apostasy. Verse 2. So that's the revival of Jacob. Now, if a father is experiencing revival or reformation, if a father is being brought back to the faith and being reminded of all of the promises of God, what should happen next? If you know your Bibles, once the father crosses over, then what? Then what always happens? The whole household. That's right. He's got a big one. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods. All right. So who else was going to get out of, of apostasy and get back to God and, and had to get their whole household and, and go? Who else was saved with their whole household? The Philippian jailer. You remember the story of the Philippian jailer? He believed and he said, what must I do to believe? And, and Paul said, repent and believe um, and, and be baptized, you and your whole household. And before they left the jail, they were all baptized. That's right. Um, anybody else? Lydia? Abraham? Uh, what about a giant boat? Noah? That's right. Anybody else? Lot? Remember Lot? The angel said, where's, where's the rest of your family? Let's go. He gets his whole family, and it, and it kind of looks like he has to um, firemen carry some of them out of there, his kids. Uh, irresistible grace. Um, Anybody else? Uh, Stephanus, Gaius uh, in the New Testament as well. Basically, every head of household, when they are saved, when they experience reform, 
They bring the household with them. I hope you've noticed this theme over the entire Bible because God goes with the grain. God saves individuals, but God saves families. What is the promise of the gospel? That all the individuals of the earth would be saved. No. What is the gospel? That all the families of the nations would be saved. Abraham, you will be a blessing to many nations. What are nations? They are a lot of families having a lot of babies over an extended period of time, one generation after the next, put them all together, you call it a nation. The promise of the gospel is to the, save the nations. What is the Great Commission? Go baptize the nations. What is a nation? It's a bunch of people getting married, making lots of babies, living in the same area, developing a culture and a custom and covenant together. That's a nation. See, the gospel saves nations. The covenant promises and God's grace flows through covenant succession into families, tribes, nations. That's how it works. Okay? And so he pulls his whole household out with him. And he tells them, honey, uh, kids, you know, I know you're not going to like this, but would you mind putting away the idols? You know, that's making dad real mad. That makes dad very annoyed. Is that what's happening? No, he's put away, the, put away the foreign gods. Now, how do they have foreign gods? What in the world? Come on, Jacob. See, he's being revived. Dad's got to get right. You remember Rachel stole the household idols and brought them with her from her land. You remember that. You have a little, a little bit of synthesism, a little bit of the world, just a little bit of the, the Netflix series and a little bit of the Grammys. You know, put away that stuff. We don't worship the devil in this house, Right? <laughs> Just a little bit of pop psychology, a little bit of secular education, just a little bit, just a little bit, right? A little bit of drunkenness, a little bit of legalism, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Jacob's like, we're putting it all away. That's, a, that's the reformation of a family, and that's what, that's what men have to do. When they, when they get their life right by the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got to get the rest of the family with them. And even non-Christian psychologists will tell you when the dad starts following Jesus, family goes too, you know, overwhelming majority of times. So get rid of the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Now, this is very interesting. What is a, a ritual of being rechurched in the Old Testament that is a symbol of purification? So you get leprosy, you're cut off, you're a stranger to the covenants, you're not allowed to go to church anymore. If you're going to be rechurched, like, if, you know, if you have sores all over you and you need to come back to church, you need to talk to the pastor first, right? You don't just come back in. Sorry, that's a joke. But, you know, <laughs> you, get, you get baptized, right, ritually cleansed, you examined by the priest, and you come back into the church. Baptism is a ritual of purification, symbolically, right? So is circumcision, but you can only get one of those, right? So sometimes they get leprosy or they touch a dead animal or something like that. It, then it would be baptism in the Old Testament. So how are they purifying themselves? Almost certainly it's with a washing of some sort, a ritual washing. And, and they're changing their clothes, which is interesting. The early church, that was part of their baptism ritual, is that they would get fresh garments. Um, nothing wrong with that, but it's not, it's not mandated in Scripture. But it's sort of symbolic. You know, the priest, when he would prepare to enter into worship, he would put on new garments. So they're going through rituals. And rituals are bad, right? Rituals are good. Rituals are earthy. Rituals are human. <coughs> rituals are good. Habits, traditions, all those things. As long as they're not um, man-made, 
as long as we're not just coming up with whatever we want, um, they're good. So he leads his whole household in revival and a ritualistic baptism and, and purification ceremony. Then he says, let us arise and go up to Bethel. The house of God, by the way, is what that means. So that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. What kind of God always answers you when you're going through troubles and is always with you? What kind of God would we call that? Loving? Close, personal. But in Genesis, what kind of God is it? Covenantal God. That's right. He's a covenantal God. He has steadfast covenantal love. In our modern-day language, what do we call steadfast love that never quits people? What do you call it? What's the word in English today? Faithful is one of them. If you're faithful to your marriage covenant, you're faithful. Any other? What if it's not a marriage covenant? What if it's like friends? Loyalty. That's right. That's the English word for it. Loyalty and faithfulness are just other words for covenantal steadfastness. Right? Good. So he's saying God's always been loyal to us. Let's repent. Let's get rid of the idols. Let's purify our hearts. Let's, uh, let's go back there and let's build an altar. Now, why build an altar? What's he doing there? What's he, what's he going to? He's going to church. He's going to church. Now, but why an altar? We don't build an altar at church, do we? We shouldn't have an altar. There should be not altars in churches, by the way. Right? That's horrible. I call it, who came up with the idea that we need to have an altar that we come up and make decisions on? That's not in the Bible. All right, but there's no altars in the church because the last altar was Calvary and Jesus paid the price once for all. But before Jesus, when they would go to church, there'd be an altar because they would sacrifice and it would foreshadow the coming of Jesus. So he's going to church and at the center of their worship is always sacrifice. Altar is the center of our worship sacrifice. We don't do it, but we remember it, don't we? And we memorialize it and we embrace it and we trust it and believe in it and we preach on it. So the center of our worship is still sacrifice, but it's one that's been done once and for all. All right. Y'all getting this? Is this? Okay, good. (coughs) Um, Verse four. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had. Good job. They did it. All right. Um, And the rings that were in their ears, you know, those idolatrous earrings, um, Got to watch out for those. Um, <clears throat> apparently, earrings identified you as a, a pagan in those days. And we know from the Hebrew that earrings were what slaves had. Remember when you were a slave, when you were a bond slave, what would you get? You'd get an earring nailed to the door. It's what slaves had earrings. And it makes sense that women would have earrings in those days too. But he says, no, we're not slaves. What are we? We're free. So they take all, they do the same thing when they, when they're done with the golden calf, when they repent after that, they get rid of all the earrings. And when Gideon, the revival with Gideon, Gideon, they get rid of all the earrings and all the bracelets. So I still think you can wear earrings, but uh, that's what they did. Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. So he buries them. Verse five. And as they journeyed, oh, I meant to say this. Why does he bury it in Shechem? No one's really sure, but I have a, a hunch it's perhaps it's a symbol of his repentance. His family just murdered all the men of Shechem. He's saying, we repent. God's restored us. He's been faithful. We're bad, but it's like a token of repentance. Maybe the people of Shechem could be saved and, you know, after seeing that repentance. I don't know. Um, verse 6 or verse 5. And as they journeyed, a terror from God fell upon the cities that were around them. 
so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. What's the theological phrase we use to describe this? Well, it is providence. It's the church on the march, headed back to the promised land, having repented and revival in their hearts. You call that the church militant. That's the, that's the old-fashioned term for this, the church on the rise, the church on the march. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel, God, house of God, because there God had revealed himself to him. The word of God was revealed to him when he fled from his brother. So they're about to have church, covenant renewal service. And then out of nowhere in verse 8, it tells us that he had a, a nurse um, in his family, a, a nanny is what we would call her, a paran. No, that's a, that's a man. What's it? Maran, Maran, that's right. And Deborah, that's, she's a Maran, Rebecca's nurse, died. Um, and she was buried under an oak below Bethel. So he called its name Alan Bakuth. That's interesting. Just all of a sudden, oh, the family's Tita, Maran, died. And they, they buried her in the promised land under an oak tree. What do you think that means? Y'all been studying Genesis long enough? You know what it means. What, it, what does it mean when you're buried in the promised land and the Bible goes out of its way to, tell, to say? Remember what Joseph said, go get my bones out of Egypt, put them in the promised land. Abraham buys a cave, bury Sarah in the promised land, bury me in the promised land. Because they believe in the resurrection and they believe in the promise of the land and they believe in the hope of the gospel, which is for the earth. Exactly. That's why she and this lady who probably had no kids um, ministered to the church her entire life. And scholars say she probably was 180 years old when she died. So she 180. Yeah, 180. Yeah, that's, people lived a long time back then, you know, good genes. And so she ministered her whole life to Rebecca and to 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 Isaac, and to Jacob. And, and wow, what a story. And they honor her and bury her in the promised land. And on, on the day of the resurrection, she will rise up if she hasn't already been raised from the dead. Um, she will rise up at the last day and she will inherit the earth with the rest of us. And we'll be like, there's, there's uh, Jacob's Maran. <laughs> I just think it's interesting. It seems like it just comes out of nowhere. But, you know, that's what the Bible says. Verse 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padamaram. And blessed him, right? If God appears to you, what's that? Well, it's definitely grace. It's basically church. You know, he's, he's, you're in the presence of God. You know, not everybody got that in those days, just Jacob. You know, he was a patriarch. It's a special position. Um, God appeared to him. And what does God do for us in church when we, when we dwell with him and meet with him? He blesses us. He blesses us. And God said to him, he speaks to us by his word. Here's his sermon for Jacob. Your, ja- your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Now, didn't he already say this to him? Yeah, it's a covenant renewal, though. Don't you? Every Sunday you hear God say to you, your name used to be Jacob, but now it's Israel. Don't you? You know, you used to be of the world, but you are mine now. And he tells it to you every Sunday. You probably need to hear it all the time anyway, right? Um, you know, you go through suffering and you might start to doubt it. You, uh, people turn on you uh, and you might start to doubt it. 
You know, things things go bad in your life, you might start to doubt it. But every you go to the Lord's day, he, you appear with the Lord, and uh, you remember His covenant promises, and your faith is strengthened. And Jacob needs it. You know, Jacob's life has been pretty stinking rotten. Honestly, been a slave. Um, his sons murder an entire city. Later, one of his sons is going to commit incest. And the dude's just had a rough life. And uh, so God, God's reassuring him of his love. So he called his name Israel. <clears throat> and God said to him, verse 11. And here's what I want to park for a little while, because this is the, the gospel promise. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. All right. What's that mean? Make babies. And, and you're going to see that God is faithful to his promise because his 12 sons are going to establish the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? That's, that's going to be the rest of the book of, uh, of Genesis after this tablet is done. And this chapter is the last chapter in this tablet. Right. Who else did God say to be fruitful and multiply? Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, and uh, Jacob, Isaac, Jacob, and the whole church. It's a covenant. It's a term of the covenant. It's what, it's what you're supposed to do because you believe in God's promises for the future and your children. Right? That's what it means. That's why it always says it over and over again. Right? There is a promise involving all the kids. There's a promise. What is it, though? A nation and a company of nations shall come from you. Now, if you can get these verses, the Bible will come alive to you. I'm speaking from personal experience. These verses are in a lockbox. They are an enigma, a riddle. Our worldview, these verses bounce off of our American minds and our worldviews, and it, it is very hard for these to penetrate. But if, if, you can, if you can get this worldview, if you can get this old Hebrew worldview, the Bible will just, the gospel will just blossom in your mind. I'm telling you. Like you, you thought the gospel was about you as an individual getting forgiven for your sins. And that's pretty awesome, right? So much more than that. Oh, it's so much more. It's so much glory. It's so much more glorious. But, but here's the, here is it in a nutshell, okay? I am God Almighty. Have a bunch of kids. Being fruitful and multiply, okay? Now, who's he telling this to? He's telling this to Jacob. He's telling it to the whole church. Jacob's a patriarch of the church, okay? A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. All right, so what three things will come from the church, from Jacob? A nation. Let's start with a nation. All right, now, how does a nation emerge? Lots of families making babies, now, in our world today, we think of a nation as a, a race, maybe. That's not at all how you should think about it. That's a Darwinistic concept, okay? We think of like black, white, yellow, and brown. Yeah, those are our categories in our minds. That's not in the Bible, I promise you. A nation in the Bible is a group in covenant together, okay? Um, <clears throat> you could join, you could be whatever skin color you wanted, you could join the Jewish nation through covenant. If you were a male, you'd have to be circumcised if you were going to participate in the religion. And you would be considered a Jew. You know, you're, you're of that nation. It's covenantal. You see what I mean? It's not, it's not determined by skin tone 
or race at all. It's a nation. And they're covenantal, and they are making babies. But when you enter into a nation and you make a covenant in that nation, in our, in our country, how do you do it? You come across the border, what do you do if you're doing it legally? Some assimilation things so you can learn how we do things, and then you make a vow, and you swear an oath of allegiance. You covenant. Now, what happens when your kid is born? Do they do the thing over again? No, they're in. They're a citizen, right? Y'all see what this is? That comes from the past. America didn't make that up. That is from an old worldview. Am I losing it, y'all? Am I losing y'all? Okay. Now, that's going to come from Jacob. Now, what is that nation typically called? What do we call that, that nation? Israel. But then we go to the New Testament. Jesus comes. What happens? Israel kills him. But he has appointed how many? Twelve apostles. Sound familiar? And they all believe in him, right? One betrays him, then they replace it. Why do they have to replace it? It's got to be twelve. Got to be twelve. Because they understand what's happening. He's reconstituting the nation of Israel. Not by genetics necessarily, although they are all genetically related to the covenants, you know. Um, So there is some relationship there. He didn't go to the Gentiles yet. They're a nation, okay? But they have to believe to be included in the promise. The promise is for the whole nation. Only those who believed receive that promise, you see? And he reconstituted them as the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the Last Supper, what did he say to them? He said, you will sit on 12 thrones and you will judge and rule over the nation of Israel. And he says, this is my new covenant with the house of Israel. You are all the 12 apostles establishing this new reconstituted Israel. And then later he's going to say the Gentiles get to be what? They get to come in. And the sign of coming in is baptism. It's no longer circumcision. Because the sa- bloody sacrifice has been made. Now it symbolizes the pouring out of the Spirit, not the killing of the Messiah. Okay? So you come in. Now when you come in, you're in this new nation. What's it called now? Well, it's called Israel still. And there are other names for it. The church. Well, it's a royal priesthood. It's also a holy nation. A holy nation is Peter's expression for the church. And that comes from the Old Testament. You understand what I'm saying? And when you when you join that holy nation, the covenant promises of Jacob are yours. And you are you are a fulfillment of this particular promise. A nation is going to come from him. Right. (coughs) Now, if you join, though, if you join the holy nation. You repent and believe. You're baptized. You're in the holy nation. Okay? Um, what is your foundation? What is the foundation of the new Jerusalem? He's the cornerstone of the foundation. But what are the other stones? There's 12 of them. 12 apostles. So you're grafted in to the reconstituted Israel. The true Israel, which is called the church. Okay? And then you have some kids. Now, I would conclude that they're in. They're born in. They're national-born citizens, okay? Not everyone agrees with that, but that's not my point at this point. What if, they, what if, like, four generations down the road, they apostatize? They leave the faith. Then what happens? They're out of the nation. 
They're out. That's right. <clears throat> Are there any promises for their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids' kids? No, there's not. Now, how many generations does God make a promise to his people? I will be faithful to those who love me to a thousand generations. You're in the nation. You're having kids. Promises to a thousand generations of those who love me. Some will apostatize. That happens. But the ones that don't and love the Lord, promises flow with them. If we, tr- if we go forward in the future, like 100,000 years, what will that do? What does that algorithm do to the world? Can y'all, do y'all, can y'all do that math? I need, a bull, I need a board to draw it. The world's only 6,000-ish, okay. Let's go, let's go 1,000 generations. What does the world look like? Blessings of God for these people, curses for all these people, be fruitful and multiply for these people, right? These people are aborting their babies. They don't want to be fruitful and multiply. What's the world going to start to look like? The nation is going to be spreading and taking over just by population growth and God's blessings, right? That's just the basics of the gospel. Now, you know, the, the thing is, though, if we're going to have all these Christians, you know, they're going to need somewhere to live. You know, are there any promises about where they could live? On some land. They need some land. That's right. That's right. Are there any promises in the Bible about how many there will be? Like the stars of the sky. How many are those? There's a lot of them. Sands of the seashore. That's right. If you go to Revelation 21 and you measure the, the uh, New Jerusalem, I don't know if it's literal or not, but let's just say it's, if it's not literal, it's figurative, then the literal is way more, Okay. Right? The type is always way less than the reality. And it's 12,000 miles up into the air and 12,000 miles this way and that way. And it's a giant cube. And it's where all the people of God live. And scientists have done, engineers have done, and they're like giving everyone a mansion like the size of Shaquille O'Neal's. It's like a trillion people. Okay? It's like a trillion people can fit in this thing. There's going to be a lot of Christians one day. And the new heavens and new earth, it's going to be crazy. It's going to be slam full trillions probably at least two three trillion some people say trillion trillion i don't that's probably too many but it's going to be a lot right, there's going to be a lot of christians a holy nation wow but you i think you can't stop there though okay because that's not the only promise the second promise is a company of nations ah. how can it be a nation and a company of nations well who are the company of nations Another way of saying this is, a, is a, you know, a multitude of nations. So you have this one big nation, and I think the way you translate this and interpret it is that you have this one big nation that is comprised of a multitude of nations. Okay? So you have a holy nation comprised of what we think of as ethnic groups. And, and that's what, the, that's what the, uh, New Jerusalem says. It says, I will, be, you will be my, I will be your God, and you will be my peoples. And the nations of the earth will bring their glories into the New Jerusalem. It's, it's, uh, it is a it is a international multinational covenanted nation. You see what I'm saying? That will emerge from Jacob's lineage. All right. Now, who's lost? I'm looking at faces. I'm trying to read. You know, I'm trying to read. I'm feeling. I'm seeing some some. I'm seeing some anger. I'm seeing some. No, not really. <laughs> Tomatoes, dead cats. Okay. I I don't. Am I the only one excited about this? This is. 
Man. Bringing my tambourines. That's right. Tambourines will be in the New Jerusalem. You know, that's a glory of the nations. And then it says, and kings shall come from your own body. That's right. And who's the ultimate king that, this fulfill, that fulfills this? Jesus, but also all the kings in the whole Bible. You know, all those kings. But then it also says we are a royal priesthood. We're all kings. We're kings and princes of a king, heirs of the land, etc. And then verse 12, if all these people, like the stars of the heavens and the sands of the seashores, a giant nation comprised of a multitude of nations, wow, we're going to need some place to go, some place to live. Then the next verse, verse 12, the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, right? And I will give the land to your offspring after you. So who's promised the land? Jacob and his offspring. That nation, comprised of a multitude of nations, is given the land. Now, how are we all going to fit over there in Palestine? It's not very big. It's smaller than New Jersey. It's very small. Paul says explicitly, let someone look it up for me. Romans chapter 4. Right? Romans 4. Paul says explicitly that the gospel is that the that the nations would be blessed through Abraham and that they would receive the earth. The land is the earth. That's why the new heavens and the new earth, the word for earth is not cosmos, it's the word land. It's literally the new heavens and the new land. All right? Because um, the meek shall inherit the earth. And all those who do not believe on Jesus... And if you're born into a Christian family, you don't believe in Jesus. But anyone who doesn't believe in Jesus is cut off from the land. They get, as we say, we could say, they get raptured out of the earth and put in the lake of fire. You don't, you want to be left behind on that rapture. Exactly. They're the only ones who will be escaping planet earth never to come back. Okay? Good. Anybody find that, did anyone find Romans 4? If not, no. What comes through the righteousness of faith? How do you, how do you ha- when you have faith, what do you get? The promises of the gospel. You get saved. And what does it mean to be saved? You're an heir of Abraham and you inherit the earth. You see, it's not just about you being forgiven, not just about you getting your, your sins washed away. You get it all. You get everything. You get it all. The kit and the caboodle. The whole thing. <clears throat> now, you say, well, psh, yeah, but I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Jew. Okay, that's a good question. I, you've not been listening, okay? But, but let's just cover this real carefully, okay? Who gets the promise? Look at the verse carefully. Verse 12. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. All right, now, I don't know why they translated offspring. I'm angry about that because it's the word seed. And I feel like they're too sophisticated for themselves. It's the word seed, all right? <clears throat> and I think when you say offspring, you take out the agricultural aspect of it. You, you lose a lot of imagery when you do that. But that's what our translators do. They try to sell Bibles. So I don't know. It's frustrating to me. It's just in the Greek. It's just, uh, well, the Greek translation of the Hebrew, but it's also in the Hebrew. I don't know the Hebrew word for seed. Sperma is the Greek word, but I don't know the Hebrew word. All right. 
So <clears throat> who gets the promise? Does anyone know what Paul says? The promise was not made to seeds, but to seed. That's what Paul says. And who is the seed of Abraham? Singular. Jesus. Every jot and tittle of the Bible is inspired. Paul makes an entire gospel point about Jesus on the fact that seed can be singular and plural. It's like it was hidden there the whole time. He says the promise was to the seed. It doesn't say to seeds, but to seed. And if anyone can find me the reference for that, um, that would be helpful. Um, So the promise is to the seed. Now, who is the seed of Abraham? That is a king that nation, a holy nation will come from, and a company of nations will be included in it, and who will inherit the whole earth. Who is that person? That's Jesus. But then it also says that it will be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. Who's that? That's the seeds. So who gets the land? It's the seed and the seeds. How can that be? Because we are united to Christ covenantally by the Spirit of God. And if you are united to Christ, then what is his is yours. That's why the Bible calls us co-heirs, co-heirs. The bride is married to the groom. What he owns, we own. Amen? That's good stuff. You say, but I know, but still, I'm just not, you know, I understand that I'm a Christian, but I'm not from Abraham. Well, listen to Galatians 3.18. Listen carefully to this. If you are Christ's, that's a conditional statement. Are you Christ's? Are you united to him? Covenantally connected to him? Then you are Abraham's offspring. And that means you are heirs according to promise. So Abraham's promise is yours. What does the New Testament call the gospel over and over again? It calls it the promise. It's the promise. It's a, it's a shorthand for the gospel. All right, Aaron? Galatians 3.16. Yeah, you want to read it real quick? That's Christ. But if you are Christ, you are Abraham's offspring. It's great. It's great. So, and that's good because we need to be united to Christ and in covenant with him if we're going to be saved because we can't do it on our own. We can't keep the terms of the covenant. Right? But Christ did. Amen. So that I mean that what that means, guys, is the whole Bible is yours. It's all yours. All the promises are yours. Right. All the covenants are yours. The land is yours. Salvation is yours. The future is yours. It's all yours. There is a a terrible doctrine called dispensationalism that is in the heart of Christians. It's it is Gnostic. It is Neoplatonic. It is evil. It is evil, evil. It is so terrible. It is like. The, it is one of the passions of my life to dismantle that from your hearts and minds. Because what it does is it chops the Bible up into sections and says this part's for you, this part's for the Jews. No, indeed. No, indeed. The New Jerusalem has four gates, well, two gates on each side, each, each two, four, six, eight. I can't remember the exact number. It has gates facing east, east north, south, west. People are streaming into them, and the foundations of those gates are the 12 apostles. And the colors of the gates are the stones that were on the breastplate of the high priest. That means if you're not in Israel, you're not in heaven, okay? If you're not Abraham's offspring, you're not in heaven. And there's a lot of people that think they're not Abraham's offspring. 
That is uh, very, very willfully ignorant of the Bible and very, very dangerous for your soul because you're truncating and you are fighting against the very gospel of Jesus Christ. Clearly taught in scripture. It's so dangerous, so dangerous. So I hope you hear me. When that stuff is espoused, you need to run, run, run. All right? <clears throat> Let's go to, uh, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians 2, verse 12. And I want to show you one last thing before we move on in the chapter. So there was a promise to Abraham, right? A, a covenant to Abraham. It passed to Isaac, passed to Jacob. It goes on later and is reiterated under whom? Moses. And then whom? David. And then Jesus, okay? So it starts this covenant. It's covenants in some sense. Adam. Y'all know this part, right? Y'all know all of this already, okay? But I want to show you that the gospel is all of those. It's all of those, all right? It's Adam. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, Jesus, okay? And the promise has always been the same, that there is going to be a massive multitude of seed that will inherit the whole earth, and God will be their God, and they will be his peoples. That has always been the gospel. That has always been the promise, okay? From Adam all the way through, and they get the whole land. You say, well, how, how can that work if there's all these different covenants? Wouldn't it be like different promises and different things? No, no. Okay, they're reiterations that build on top of each other with more revelation each time. Watch, but listen to Ephesians 2, verse 12. Speaking to the Ephesians, the Gentiles, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. Okay, so if you're separated from Christ, who else are you separated from? You're separated from Abraham. If you're not Abraham's, you're nothing. You have nothing. You don't inherit the earth, all right? You were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Commonwealth is another name for what? A nation, that's right. You're alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. So you're out of the nation. You're not a part of the holy nation. That nation that was promised to Jacob, you're not a part of it. And you're not united to Christ. That was, that was true of you. You're strangers to the covenants, plural, of promise singular. Okay, that's a helpful way of thinking about this. Though there are multiple covenants, there's one promise. And it gets expanded each time until it is finally accomplished under Jesus completely, okay? And so I want to show you that. Let's start with, uh, with Adam, okay? And let's just take one of these, okay? Or we could take more, but we don't have enough time. Let's just take the land, just the land, okay? Before the fall, the Edenic covenant is what they call that, okay? What's the relationship between the Edenic covenant before the fall and the land and the earth? It was Adam and Eve. I mean, who else did it belong to, right? But what were they supposed to do? Be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. Okay, so there it is right out of the beginning, right out of the Genesis. Man and the earth, it's all connected. But then there's the fall. And then what happens? First gospel promise, I will put enmity between the offspring of the woman, that's the seed, seed of the woman, and the seed of the serpent. I will make them fight. But the seed of the woman, that's the Messiah, the offspring of Jacob, the same, that's the different theme, the same promise, will crush the head of the serpent, eradicating evil from the garden, from the earth. Okay? So subdue the earth, man. Uh, he didn't do it. 
There will be one who will come. He will be a man, and he will eradicate the devil. All right? That's the first gospel promise. That's the Adamic covenant. That's kind of the general scope of it. Okay? Then let's go to Noah. What happens with Noah? Gets off the boat. Be fruitful, multiply. All right? Fill the earth. And, he said, and then he says, I will never again destroy all the animals. I will not do that. And I will never again destroy or curse the whole earth because of man again. I'm going to preserve the whole earth. For what? He's setting the stage for it all to come through. You understand? That's the Noahic covenant. Are those different covenants? No, they're, they're reiterations. They're renewals. They're covenants of promise, one, okay? Then we go to Abraham. What's he say? I will give you the land. Isaac, I will give you the land. Jacob, I will give you the land. And then we see them going around and getting the land. God is faithful. God is faithful. And then one generation goes by. God is faithful. He does it. Right? They get the land. All right? Um, interestingly enough, Paul says Abraham never got the land. I'm like, he, he bought some of it. He had some of it. Because Paul understood and, and Abraham understood that it wasn't the whole, it wasn't, that was just a, that was a down payment. Okay? But then we go to Moses. Now, what's the relationship to Moses in the land? They're getting ready. They form them as a nation. And they say, go to the promised land. Go get the land, remember? But he says, before you do that, though, let me give you the law. Now, what's the law for? How to, how to live in the land, how to enjoy the land, how to keep the land, and how to take the land. That's what the law is. We don't, we don't have to take the, today, we don't take the land by, by warfare, uh, actual warfare. We take the land by faithful obedience to God. If you are faithfully obedient to his commandments, what will he do? He will bless you. And part of those blessings is the land. You see what I mean? Children in the Ephesian church, the children in the Ephesian church were told, if you honor your mother and father, then what will happen? In the land. It's all the land. It's all the land. This is the gospel. And that's children in the Ephesian church for the children. That's their promise, okay? And they, he also calls them saints as well. Uh, but then the, the, what about the Davidic covenant? He's the king of it. He's going to be the king. His descendant is going to be the king over the whole thing. And it's not just going to be a land. It's going to be a kingdom. It's going to be a government. And it's going to be established in the time of those kings, which Daniel says is the Romans, Right? So that's the Davidic covenant. And then that kingdom, which would be established in the land, would ha- what would it do? The mountain comes from heaven, crushes in the Roman Empire, and what would it do? Of his kingdom, there would be no end. It would cover over the whole earth. So now it's not only do we have the whole earth, and we're all filled up on it like the stars of the s- seashore, and the devil's killed, right? But there's a king governing over the whole thing. It's starting to sound familiar, okay? And then Jesus comes. And he just dies so you can be forgiven for your sins and escape from earth and live in an immaterial floaty place forever. No, that's not in the Bible. That is terrible. It was terrible. All right. But who believed that as a kid? I did. Who thought heaven was going to be boring? Who thought heaven was going to be some other place? We all did. Who, who thought we'd be strumming on harps or we might, who thought they might be a floating light orb? Right. <laughs> Where does that come from? 
It comes from a different religion, not Christianity. And it's in the church. It's in the church. And I'm, I'm over the target. I'm over the target. Our church is over the target on this. I'm going to keep firing. Oh, that's a strange fire. But we got to go to this, okay? you got to see this. And I know I've lost some of you. Some of you just can't take it anymore. You're over it. All right. Colossians 1, verse 16. I'm joking. I'm just... Colossians 1, 16. Okay. You've you got to track with this, all right? For by him, and what you're going to do, you're going to keep your eyes. Keep your eyes on the ball, right? That's what, that's what Ben tells me when we're practicing our swing. I've got to keep my head down, okay? I look up, I'm going to miss it. Keep your eyes on the ball, okay? And here's the ball. All things, all things. You all know what all things are? All things, okay, watch. For by him, that's Jesus, all things were created. Okay, we got that. He created all things. Heavens and the earth. In heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, that's angels and demons. All things were created through him and for Jesus. Okay, so he created everything. Jesus created everything and it was all created for him. He's the heir. Okay, and he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. So he is the initiator and the sustainer of all things. And he is the and and this is cool. And he is the head, the covenantal head, the federal head of the body. The church. Okay, so that's pretty good. The creator and the sustainer of the world. We are united to him. He's the head of the church. We're his body. We're his bride. And he owns everything and he created everything and he sustains all things. That's pretty good. But the world fell into sin and decay and chaos. Oh, maybe the head will will save us for and get us out of here. No, he has more in store. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't give up on his creation, all right? <clears throat> he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Oh, now we're getting somewhere. The firstborn from the dead. Death is the wages of sin. Then we have someone born from death. And what is, the, what is, what is that? Y'all know what that means. It's the resurrection. So now he's raised from the dead. New creation. He's the first fruits of the new creation. He kickstarts it, okay? That in, and what's the purpose? That in everything, he might be preeminent, okay? For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile. What does that mean, to reconcile? To bring it back. What's the opposite of reconciliation? Alienation alienation heaven and earth alienated god and man alienated god promises i will be god to you and to your offspring after you and i will give you the land i will be emmanuel god with us alienation but i will come to you and he comes he's raised from the dead for what purpose to reconcile to himself to bring back to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven Why did he die on the cross? To do that, making peace by the blood of his cross. See, the gospel is way bigger than you as an individual in your prayer closet, right? That's good. I'm glad, okay? But it is way bigger. It is global. It is cosmic. Verse 21, and you, 
Gentile, who once were alienated, that's the opposite of reconciled, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled. He started with you in, the body of, in his body of flesh by his death, in order that one day he would present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So what are you? You have already been reconciled to him, and he is the new creation. That means what is the church? <clears throat> the church is the foreshadowing of the ultimate reconciliation of all things, and the church is the bride through whom he works by his spirit to reconcile all things to himself. We have a mission. Y'all see that? <coughs> Gospel's big. All right. <clears throat> and when he returns, y'all know what's going to happen? It'll all be completed, grand finale. What he's been doing all this time, he will, it will be the grand finale, and it will be him and us on the earth forever and ever and ever. And, um, and that will be very glorious. All right, so should we want the earth? Should we worry about the earth? Yeah, well, you know, there's climate change. The, no, the Noahic covenant tells us that we don't have to be panicked. Not that I'm, like, trying to pour oil down my drains or anything, but I don't know. Um, <clears throat> you know, Muslims want the earth. Liberals want the earth. Everybody wants the earth but Christians. We're like, this, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Some glad morning when this life is over, I'll fly away. Somewhere over the rainbow. Turn your eyes to Jesus. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. No. When you turn your eyes to Jesus, the things of earth become strangely real. Now everything you do, you can do with meaning and purpose in Christ for his kingdom. This, this stuff is just in our psyches. It is in our ch churches. It's demonic. It's platonic, et cetera, et cetera. And, and we've got, we've got to um, deconstruct this stuff so we can really read our Bibles and really see the, the glorious, glorious gospel. Amen? All right. Well, that's good enough. Let's have a good evening.